I love gifting. And so at Christmas time, I love coming up with the perfect gift for the perfect person. And so this year, as we study Advent, it got me thinking about the gifts that we bring to Jesus. In today's episode, we talk about the gifts the Magi brought to Jesus, their significance, and the implication of us giving gifts to Jesus this Advent season. You're listening to the Girlfriends in the Word podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Drum. This podcast is designed to dive into scripture through systematic study in books of the Bible. Through cultural conversations with women today, or on specific topical studies so that we can learn what God has to say for our lives. My goal is to equip you to study God's Word well and to encourage you in your faith journey as we walk together and become girlfriends in the Word. Hey friends, happy Wednesday. We are in week three of our Advent series as we walk into the third week of Advent. And today I wanted to talk about part of the Christmas narrative that we know as the visit of the wise men. And the title of today's episode is The Gifts We Bring, because I'm so fascinated by this concept of gifting and giving gifts and bringing gifts, and I love this part of the Advent story. And so one of the things that I want to talk about this week is the problem with reading scripture. And you see, when we actually dive deep into God's word and we read it for ourselves, what we often learn is that scripture requires us to throw off our preconceived ideas about God and his word. When we read the text, when we study and investigate the scriptures, we find that a lot of the pieces to the story in the text may be different than the pieces of the story we have heard or grew up thinking or being taught. And that includes the nativity scene. You see, the wise men in the nativity scene is one of the misconstrued story pieces in the Advent season. It is a classic challenge to the Christmas story. And I know, for example, I have a nativity set out in my living room and it has the manger scene and the shepherds and the animals and Mary, Joseph and baby Jesus. And in my nativity set, there are three wise men bringing gifts to Jesus at his birth. And it makes a beautiful scene, doesn't it? I mean, in our minds, it plays out perfectly. A smelly manger and yet a holy offering of gifts from these wise men as they and the shepherds meet and come to worship Jesus, except that's not exactly how the story goes. So this week, let's talk about the Magi or these wise men, as we call them in songs and stories today, and let's set the record straight. Before we do that, I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, where the story of the wise men are told. It says in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, so after his birth, in the days of Herod the king, which gives us our time frame, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So right from the onset in verses 1 and 2, we find that, after the birth of Jesus, then the Magi or the wise men come and they don't come to Jesus. They come to Jerusalem. They come to where the king is in Herod's court and they come to Herod and ask about this new king that is born. Verse three tells us when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled for all Jerusalem was with him and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over up the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Oh my goodness, this is not quite the nativity story we see in plays or in the manger scenes that we set out on our mantles. So first of all, let's set the story with some historical details. These magi aren't first introduced in the Gospel of Matthew. They are characters in scripture that date way back into the Old Testament. In Egypt, we saw what were advisors, sorcerers, magicians, and wise men attending Pharaoh's court. So we see that this concept of wise men are often rulers or princes in the court of very important leaders. If you go into the book of Daniel, you see the claim to fame for these magi. When Nebuchadnezzar captured Judah and the nation of Israel fell into captivity in 586 BC, the royalty of the Jewish kingdom was captured and taken into Babylon to serve and work for King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was among those youth, and it was in his story that we learned so much about the wise men of the East, specifically those in Babylon. And while in the Gospel of Matthew, it doesn't tell us where these men came from specifically, We do understand that there is a lot of information in the book of Daniel that kind of sets the stage for these wise men that would be in the the area of Babylon, Media, and Persia, which would be the kingdoms that took over after Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's wisdom and his insight far surpassed all of the magi that were in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And eventually, King Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel in charge of all of the wise men to train them, to teach them and to make them legitimate assets to him as the king. So for those of us who read the story and think, well, how did these ancient astronomers or these wise men or these magi or whatever they were know how to follow a star? It's a great question. This is where the history during Daniel's time helps us set the stage because when Daniel was in Babylon, God was using Daniel to train up men of wisdom, the princes in the court, the wise men, the nobility, who would be able to assist the king, but who would also be able to interpret the times that they lived in and would be able to see the fulfillment of prophecies that Yahweh had sent to them because of the signs that Yahweh had promised to give. And so this is so important because even in a season of captivity, when Israel was frustrated and they were in covenant discipline, God was working even then to set the stage for what was coming with the promised child. So the providence of God was always at work. Now we fast forward a few hundred years and the night of the birth of Jesus is where we see the promised star go into the sky. It appears over Bethlehem and the Magi in the east see the sign. The star has appeared. The sign of the prophecy has come and they have been trained for generations to look for it. And now it's finally here. So they pack up their presents and they seek the presence of the promised one. Now, let's not miss the important aspect to the Christmas story here. About a year and a half after the arrival of the star over Bethlehem, possibly up to two years, 
the Magi arrive to worship Jesus. They go into Jerusalem. They meet with Herod. They get the details and they go out and find the child. They must set their eyes on the promised one. They must not miss their chance. They must worship him. They must offer something so they come with all of their wealth and power and majesty from their kingdoms. And they find a toddler boy at home with his mother, playing on a dirt floor in a humble Jewish home. And these men of wealth and power and strength and might, they come and they offer up gifts. And we see three gifts, which don't necessarily mean that there were only three kings or three wise men. There could have been an entire entourage of them. And in fact, some of Jewish tradition holds that there were 12 of them. But we see three specific gifts listed. It's possible that there were significantly more given, but three are told to us in the text, and they are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a common gift for a king, and it's only fitting. It's a sign of wealth and royalty, tribute to this king's worth. And for Mary and Joseph, it quite possibly would serve as the provision for the journey they would take immediately following this visit. Because after the arrival of the Magi to the royal family, the royal family, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, would be forced to leave Israel and flee to Egypt as King Herod now sought the life of the child. Frankincense, the second gift that's given, was used in Jewish offerings. This is where Old Testament history comes into play because frankincense was used for grain offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings. And as the people of Israel would come to the altar and offer up an offering before God, they would pour frankincense on it. It's so fitting that this costly oil, even today, and it holds so many properties, healing and and, and worship and incense, it's used throughout Old Testament scriptures for sacrifice. Here they are seeing the child who would be sacrificed for our sins. And they bring frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh also has Old Testament connotations. This this oil produced from trees was used as a liquid or hardened into a resin. And it was biblically associated with worship. We see it in the Psalms and, and throughout different passages in the Old Testament. It's used in perfumes and also for medicinal purposes. Some believed it to be a, a numbing agent. We see it even tried, uh, soldiers tried to put myrrh on a spike with a sponge to give to Jesus to numb the pain on the cross. And he refused it. But we also see myrrh biblically after the death of Jesus. When his body is removed and it's wrapped in cloths for burial, they applied myrrh to his body. Such interesting gifts for the royal kings and wise men of the court to come from the east to bring to the child king Jesus. Gifts that provide, gifts that partake in the process, and gifts that prepare Jesus for the mission he fulfills to his people. Now, Gifts of these magi got me thinking about the gifts that we give, the gifts that we bring to Christmas. Because you see, I'm a gifter. I love shopping. I love gifting. I love finding the perfect gift for my people. But I can easily, and maybe you're like me, we can wear ourselves out with all the gifting of all the things. And we can come empty-handed to Jesus when in reality, what we want is to come to him with something. As a matter of fact, I find there to be a dichotomy of giving gifts to Jesus. So often we want to strive and please. So we will work hard and do so many things as if this will please our king to show off all of our accomplishments to him. When in reality, the greatest gift we can give to Jesus is the gift he gave to us. It's the gift of presence. 
So this Christmas, my challenge to myself and my challenge to you, as we consider the gifts of the Christmas season, is what are we gifting Jesus? Because what he wants from us is us. What he wants is our presence. So this Christmas, let's bring Jesus ourselves. Let's sit with him. Let's learn from him. Let's study him. And most importantly, let's worship him. Let's drop off all the things that we are carrying before him. And let's instead pick up from Jesus, his power, his presence, his spirit, his might. And let's sit with our savior this Christmas and offer him ourselves. All of us, our mess, our heartache, our hurt, our questions. And let's give him our presence because that's what he came to give us. So this Christmas, let's gift to Jesus what really matters as we celebrate the Advent season. Until next week, friends. Thank you so much for listening to the Girlfriends in the Word podcast. You can find resources on the website at www.nataliadrum.com, which is where you can connect with me via email, you can download resources, or you can check out the shop for books and tools to grow in your faith. If you want to connect with me on social media, head over to Instagram and find me at the handle at Natalia Drum. 